So we are um, still in the Sermon on the Mount, and we are moving into chapter 7. Uh, next Sunday, we'll talk about the wise and foolish builder, the last uh, part of chapter 7 in which Jesus concludes his message. But today, we want to look at briefly uh, Matthew 7, verses chap- uh, Matthew chapter 7, verses 7 through 11. Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds, and to the one who knocks it will be open. Or which one of you, if his son asks him for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a serpent? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask him? Let's pray. Father God, this is an amazing, amazing, amazing promise to us. It is an invitation for us to come to you, an open invitation. So Lord, help us to be encouraged by the power of your Spirit to really hear you inviting us to come to him. And that your spirit would plant this word deep in our hearts, that throughout our life, throughout our ups and downs, through our journey, that we would come to you to ask, seek, and knock. In Christ's name we pray, amen. I just want to let you know we will be having communion right after the message. And I just want to briefly kind of share with you. So after the sermon is done, I'm going to go ahead and consecrate the elements. I'll read the passage from 2 Corinthians. And then I have the elements right there. There's no table. There's no... I I, I love to just have actual bread and cup uh, visually and just kind of be able to see it. But you're going to have to imagine it today. But we do have the elements. And then I'm going to pray for the elements. I'm not going to invite you just to form a line like right here. And then just come and get your elements. Hold on to it. And go back to your seats, and then we'll participate together, okay? I just want to explain that to you now as we'll go into the uh, communion rite immediately following the service. Uh, in 1977, my f- father brought his family to the United States of America. Uh, my father and his older brother uh, started a construction company during the 70s in Busan, uh, the coastal city. Southeast Korea. And it was a season of boom, a season of great development, um, infrastructure was building. There's a lot of building going on in those days. And my father and his brother, his construction company, just uh, flourished. But like many people, he overextended himself, or they overextended themselves, and got into uh, a situation where All that was good just suddenly collapsed in a rather short time. They lost everything. And so my father, like many immigrants at that time, brought his family to the United States to seek a better life. He came with the proverbial shirt on his back and not much else. I think he had a little, you know, maybe enough to tide us over for a few months. As a seven-year-old, I didn't know much. There's something else he brought, though, however, beyond just the suitcase and a few months of living costs. And that was a promise that he had in his heart that God would be with him. 
And the verse that my father loved more than any other verse in the Bible, the one that he uh, almost, I, I just, I can, he passed away seven years ago. I can still picture him saying it over and over again. We, we have family devotion every day in our, in our house or, or almost every day. And this, this is the verse that he just recited it over and over again to the point where I got kind of sick of it. And I actually didn't like this verse because I heard it so much growing up in our house. And that was, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. And he just loved that verse. And he would just say it in Korean over and over again. And he believed it. When my father did pass away seven years ago, he left probably less than what he had brought to America. The last 25 years of his life, uh, starting in his mid-50s, were very challenging. Um, he was a real estate broker, and uh, you know, real estate, being a real estate broker, for those of you who might be in this tree, is like being a hunter-gatherer. You know, you, there are a lot of empty days when you don't find much. And in the latter part of his life, he struggled mightily with his finances. So when he died, he left us very little. My mom likes to remark how little he left the family. So as I look at his life, the promises that he cherished, that God would provide, ask, seek, and knock. And when I see his legacy of, really, he came with little and he left with little, did God not did, not, did God not keep his promise to my father? And the answer is an unequivocal no. God was faithful. I can say without a doubt, looking at his life, that God was truly faithful to his promises, that those who ask, seek, and knock will receive, find, and have the door opened. My father was a prime example that God's promise to us is not that he gives us what we want, but that he gives us what is good for us. And that is the heart of the father. One of the most important truths that I am learning and continue to learn each and every day is that getting what I want is not happiness. It's receiving with a glad heart what God gives to me for my good is my greatest delight or my greatest pursuit in this world. Dale Bruner, New Testament scholar, whose commentary on Matthew is my favorite of all the Matthew commentaries I have, says this about today's text. Quote, the ask passage, that is verses 7 through 11, the ask passage is the most encouraging biblical passage on the subject of prayer. The promises are astonishingly open-ended. Whenever this passage is read with simple faith, it will take one's breath away. It really is. It is open-ended. Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds, and to the one who knocks will be open. No conditions, just an open invitation. Everyone who seeks, everyone who asks, everyone who knocks will receive. Do you ever sometimes feel God listens to other people's prayers more than yours? I know my mom would always say that 
would say, that was, she would kind of put me to the side and say, Sam, you have to pray because God listens to your prayers. And I would just want to say, like, no, not really. She, he doesn't listen to my prayers. I'm a pastor any more than he listens to yours. Because, you know, when we pray in Jesus' name, it's really as if God is seeing Jesus praying. I mean, I, I just, I, I think it's sometimes is mind-blowing it really is mind-blowing to think that when we pray in Jesus' name, like, can you imagine Jesus praying? Okay, be honest. If you could have anyone pray for you, would it not be Jesus? Like, um, Pastor Sam can pray for you, or Jesus can pray for you? Like, okay, we go to Jesus. Jesus' prayer, you, we just think, like, whatever Jesus prays, he's going to get because he's Jesus. Well, if we pray in Jesus' name, it's like God looks at us, our prayers, as coming from Jesus. That is really the heart of praying in his name. It is, it is just an unimaginable reality and blessing that we have to pray. And this invitation to pray is to all of us, all of us. But it's so hard to really pray at times. As amazing as this invitation to prayer is, how many of us struggle to pray at times? Just me? We all do. We all struggle to pray. I remember my struggles with prayer have evolved. You know, I have like multiple ways I struggle with prayer. Uh, maybe you don't want to hear that from your pastor, but it's true. I struggle with prayer in multiple ways. When I was young, I struggled with prayer because I felt like it was a duty. It's something I had to do. Good Christians prayed. And if you didn't pray, you weren't a good Christian. So what did you often do when you felt like praying was a duty that you had to do? And you had a hard time praying. Well, you lied about it. And you kind of try to act like you were a prayerful person. Oh, yeah, those, those deep, quiet times that you have, you know. Or, you know, you say the, you say the quick meal prayer, Lord, bless this food I'm about to receive. Amen. And you're like, oh, yeah, I pray today. I pray almost every day. Because I eat every day. And, uh, you know, we, we just struggle with this sense of obligation to pray. And I struggled with that when I was young. I, there was a time in college where I tried to pray an hour a day. I was, you know, so this, there was this kind of a book, and there's this pastor who really emphasizes when Jesus was praying in Gethsemane. And Jesus is praying, and he was praying so intense, intensely that his sweat became as blood. Like, he was, like, sweating blood. It's such intense prayer. And then he comes to his disciples, his three disciples. His, the ones that he invested the most time and energy with, his three disciples. And what are they doing? <clears throat> they were sleeping. And Jesus said, oh, could you not tarry with me one hour? So there's this book that talked about praying an hour a day. And so I'm like, okay, I got to pray an hour a day. So I will wake up in the morning, go to the closet, and I would try to pray an hour a day. And I tried. And, man, sometimes that hour just would go fast. And just like, I can't believe it's an hour already. But more often than not, I'd be, like, nodding halfway. Like, I'd be sleeping halfway. Like, 15 minutes of it was unconscious prayer. 15 minutes of it was, like, dream-like prayer where you're praying about things that you don't even know what you were praying about. And then 15 minutes is just trying to get yourself to pray, and then 15 minutes was like prayer. 
Because there was a season when I really um, had a hard time thinking of it as a duty to pray. But when I grew older, prayer became a challenge in a different way. And I think this is where many of you might find yourself, is that prayer became difficult because more and more as we became adults and we became more competent and self-independent, we realized we didn't need God as much as we really do. Do you know that you will never pray for things that you believe you are capable of doing yourself? This is a principle. This, I, I, I'm sure other people have made observations on this, but the reality is you will never seek something. You will never seek help from God for something that you, you know you are confident that you can do for yourself. Right? Things that are out of our control. If you're planning an event outdoors, weather is out of your control. So you pray for good weather. Sometimes health feels like out of control, right? Health feels like out of control, so we pray for good health. But we don't ever pray for things like, oh, Lord, help me to cook my egg today well. Help me to put my gas in well, because these are things that we just know how to do, and we just don't feel the need for God to intervene in those areas. And so for much of our lives as we get older and older, the areas where we feel competent becomes bigger and bigger, and the areas that we feel we need God become smaller and smaller. So our prayers are relegated to those areas in our life that we can't control with our own will and ability. Right? This isn't in my notes, but as an aside, for those of you who are married, it might be your spouse, right? Like trying to get your spouse to be the way you want them to be seems out of, like you're out of your control so you can pray to God, God, please help so-and-so. I remember that you know, many of the sermons in my family between my mom and dad who sometimes had a, not sometimes, did have a very challenging relationship, prayers were like sermons. It's like when it was their turn to pray, it was really like, Lord, help my husband be a better man. Lord, help my wife stop nagging me. I was like, it's just like, really? That's, that's what you want to pray in front of your kids? Okay, <laughs> enough about my family life. But as I grow older, the areas of competence, our competence grows, and the area where we feel we need God shrinks. And that's not a good place to be. And there are other challenges to prayer, right? Sometimes our own ability to think about uh, you know, the reality of God. Like, the other part that's really challenging is prayer sometimes seems to go unanswered. Like, if Jesus says, ask and you will receive and seek, you will find and knock and the door will be answered. Well, I've asked and I haven't received and I sought and I haven't found and I knocked and the door wasn't open. I remember my father, I told you, had a very challenging time financially the last 25 years and um, I, I remember driving to church in the car, and he'd be, like, going on, a, like, a week-long fast. You know, like, he'd be fasting for a week. And I remember driving to church with him, and he'd be just praying to God, like, God, please help. Like, help, help, help this deal go through or help me land. A th- help me to provide for my family. And he would just, like, he'd be praying earnestly, like fasting, right? Like, you know, a man in his late 40s and 50s with children and knees, and he's praying, and a lot of times, you know, I just remember sitting in the car just being in anguish with him, and it seems like the prayers weren't answered. But they were answered. 
He never went without. We always had shelter. And he, and he died a blessed person. He died happy. At his funeral, there's so many people that talked about how he blessed them. And it was a blessing to them. He answered in a way that my father didn't expect, but he answered nonetheless. And that's really what I want to share with you today is how do we build our confidence in God? What is the foundation of these promises that God gives us? What is the hope in which we can build our prayer life upon? And there are two realities that I want you to focus on. Two realities. The first is that God gives us what is only good for us. God gives us what is only good for us. Let's look at verse 9, if we can put the passage back up. Look at verse 9 and 10 and 11. Which one of you, if his son asks him for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a serpent? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? In other words, do you remember when you were little? Did you ever ask for something and you didn't get it? Like you asked your parents and they didn't give it to you? Or perhaps if you have children, have you, has your child ever asked you for things and you didn't give it to them? Many times. I remember when my kids were little, they would ask me for crazy things. Um, who's any, who, any youngest sibling here? Youngest out of multiple siblings? Okay. You guys have it good. Young, 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 youngest siblings have it good because all the older siblings, you know, Take the brunt of your parents' trial and error. <laughs> They're learning to parent on your older siblings. And by the time you come along, you're happy and good. Elizabeth, when she was little, uh, that she's my oldest, we gave her no candy before she was like four. Nathan probably got to enjoy a little bit of that when he was like two or three. Joshua, the youngest, when he was like literally one and a half, when he could barely walk and barely talk, would somehow know where the candy stash, grab it, and hide in the bathroom somehow. He knew that bathroom was a safe place to hide and go eat his candy. And more than being angry, we would just chuckle. <laughs> what, a, what a rascal. He's smart enough to find the candy and hide in the bathroom. That, that's, that's the youngest life. If my child asked me for candy for dinner, would I give it to him? Of course not. Jesus' point is, if you who are foolish and limited, and, and this is true, he calls us evil. That means we're not really always have good at beyond all of our intentions. Know how to give good things to your children. How much more does your heavenly father know what you need and will give you what is good? In other words, not all of our prayers are answered at times because God only gives to us what is good. And the, and the reality is, God is the only person because he, he is infinitely wise and he is infinitely capable. God is the only person who always, always, your parents didn't always give you what is good. Our parents gave us a lot of guilt complexes and a lot of baggage that isn't good for us. 
your brothers, sisters, and your friends, and your spouses, they aren't always going to give you what is best for you at times, because we're all finite, and we're broken, and we're not infinitely wise. There's only one person in the universe who's going to give you what is good for you all the time, and that is God. A great illustration of this is the Apostle Paul. Apostle Paul was an amazing person, probably lived an amazing life. If you read the New Testament, much of it was written by Paul. And in his second letter to the Corinthians, Paul says that God gave him these revelations. He was drawn up into the third heavens. And he said he saw things that no human beings should see and witness. He was given these exceedingly great revelations. And what happens, what are, what's the potential for people when you have a revelation like that from God? The possibilities that we become, we can kind of become a little bit proud arrogant the other 12 apostles or 11 and a half however you want to call Matthias they think they're better than me have any of you had these exceedingly great revelations that I have that God gave to me of course Paul wouldn't say that but the possibility was there so God so Paul says God gave him a thorn a messenger of Satan to torment him and it was to the point where Paul was so bothered by this thorn that he prayed to Jesus, please, please remove this thorn from me. And God says, no. And again, Paul asks, Jesus, please, it is very, very difficult. Please remove this thorn from me. Jesus says, no. Paul asks a third time. And Jesus says, my grace is sufficient for you. God gave Paul that thorn. Why? Because it bothered Paul, but it kept him humble. To Paul, being humble, being humbled by Christ so that he can be used by God was a more good to him than if he was relieved of the discomfort of that thorn. Do you understand the, the, the confidence that we have going to God. And you can ask God anything you want. God, help me with anything you want. You can go with God anything. Because we know that whatever we ask, that God is only going to give us what is good for us. Amen? So we don't have to try to say, like, did I say that prayer right? Did I ask for the right thing? No, we can be confident that whatever we pray, that God knows what is good for us, and he'll give it to us. The second foundation of our confidence is that just look at the text. There's an amazing juxtaposition of two words, evil and children. He says, though you, you, and he's talking to his disciples, even though you who are evil know how to give gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give good gifts to his children? We are evil, yet we are still his children. The foundation of our asking in prayer is that God sees us as his children. He doesn't see as a nuisance. He doesn't see as a burden. He sees us as his sons and daughters. And because we are his children, he will only give us that which is good. Okay, so coming back to the point, what happens when I don't ask and receive what I pray for? Well, let me ask you this. What is the greatest thing that God can give you always? It's himself. 
So in Luke, there's a parallel passage in Luke. Luke translates, or Luke tells his text in a slightly different, he says, your heavenly father will always give you good, and that good is the Holy Spirit. Meaning that at the end of the day, when we pray, every prayer is answered because in the act of prayer, you get the very best thing for yourself, which is God himself. Do you see the mystery of the paradox there? The act of prayer and asking, seeking, and knocking is the very means by which we receive the greatest gift from God, which is himself. So every time you ask, seek, and knock, every time you pray, God is already giving you himself. And that in itself is the greatest good for us, to continually be in fellowship with God. It doesn't mean that God doesn't answer other prayers. He does, and he answers it in wonderful ways. But the most important thing that we need to know is that when we pray, we get God himself. And may that give you the encouragement to seek him in prayer.